Welcome to the acclaimed podcast, Deep Dive with Andy and the White Whale. Welcome to the Deep Dive. We have a heavy dose of NBA talk to bring you today. Um, I have been overflowing with NBA takes. Obviously, the NBA playoffs are completely consuming my uh, handicapping life right now. Uh, and so this is a podcast I've been looking forward to for a couple weeks. Uh, we got our good friend who we talk to behind the scenes constantly, uh, all things tennis and, and in my case, uh, NBA stuff. Uh, welcome. First ever episode of the Deep Dive, although um, longtime contributor to Deep Dive Media's website, writing daily women's tennis articles. Uh, and whether or not you know it, uh, a damn sharp NBA mind, uh, by my account. Uh, welcome to the Deep Dive. Noobs! Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, guys. How's it going? Oh, man. Um, well, uh, the NBA playoffs in round two could not have gone more spectacularly from an entertainment and a fan standpoint, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, although it's worth noting, uh, I see your avatar looks like a Joel Embiid uh, picture. Does that mean you're a Philly fan? Oh, uh, well, if we it. really have to start with that, yeah, I um, I'm actually writing something about that right now for uh, deepdivemedia.co. I'll hopefully get that up tonight, if not tomorrow morning. But Ooh, I grew blogging. up. Yep, I uh, I was born in Philadelphia. Have lived basically within an hour of city, within an hour of the city, my entire life. I am not an Eagles fan. I am not a Phillies fan. I am not a a, a Flyers fan. I generally find the concept of sports fan would be kind of silly. Um, mm -hmm. I don't even really care what my college is doing, but I live and breathe for the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, I own a Moses Malone jersey simply because when I saw it in somebody's closet, I lost my mind for like 15 <laughs> solid minutes. And whoever and the guy who owned it just gave it to me. So, Dan Moyer, if you're listening, to, um, thank you very much. I still have it and cherish it dearly. Oh, oh, so you are you are tried and true then. I mean, this is this is heavy duty. I didn't. I guess I I knew you. I knew you knew the Sixers well, and that's one of the reasons we wanted to have you on today. Is because like a, a huge topic that you know really, in my opinion, yeah, we need least, to do some autopsies today. Yeah, I mean, two two huge topics. What went wrong in Game Seven? Uh, you know, did the did the Sixers were they lucky to get that far? Should they have gone farther? Uh, what do they do now? I mean, there's so many questions resolving around the Sixers, really resolving around the entire Eastern Conference, current and future. Uh, there is so much to talk about. So it'll be great to get your perspective on this. And it's it's good to know. I mean, I don't know. I know you know the Sixers well. You have a damn good graph. You want to just start right there with Game 7? Uh, sure. First, uh, okay, Andy, first of all, let me ask you, before we cede the floor to the Sixers uh, homer here, um, did you watch all of that game? Raptor Sixers, or were you doing Mother's Day stuff, grilling out out Me? there enjoying the sunshine? Yeah, yeah. Oh no, I watched the game. I, I like like I don't bet on NBA as much as some of y'all's, but I still I still do. It's not like I don't have a bet on tonight. Okay, so I have oh, my I have my Warriors feature. So I, I mean, it's you're right. It has been like a pretty entertaining, uh, especially from I mean, I'm a Timberwolves fan, I guess. I've been to like a game and whatever. It was more fun when we had KG and the the team was actually exciting. It's just been a fucking dumpster fire for a decade. But 
I guess I'm more a fan of um, awful fans losing, so I'm just <laughs> out cheer for whoever's playing against Boston and Philly because those okay, are I can't believe the worst people. I can't no, believe you know, I agreed no, to come on to this podcast. No offense to, <laughs> yeah, no, we didn't mean to sabotage. No, and you're nice. Like you're the you're the the outlier. You're you're on the long tail there you know, <laughs> oh, because for for the most part, Philly's. Just, I mean, okay. we, we just went over this. The town, the, the town bombed itself one time. Okay, so but but as someone, was, anyway, as someone but as was, someone who is anyway, but I was I was happy. Neutral. I was happy to yeah. I was happy to watch Toronto go on too. I'm cheering for <laughs> Toronto vicariously through Whale as well. So I'm okay. also a Raptors fan. Thanks, Canada. Okay, cool. Uh, but uh, just from semi-objectively, someone who hasn't been just kind of in the grind of betting game by game, uh, would you say that round two and in particular that game seven kind of peaked? Uh, entertainment and quality of, of enjoyment of, of basketball from a fandom standpoint. It's yeah, that I mean, be, that. It, it makes you it makes you forget about the Dame shot almost. But Christ, you remember the Dame <laughs> shot? I mean, yes, that was I do. That shit was that shit was amazing. I mean, so we've had we've had two of the most amazing endings I can remember in a long period of time. Like uh, those were both just wild ass shots. They were great. And yeah, yeah. you know, from from just like a general NBA fans, you know, standpoint, the second round was pretty fire. Yeah. Even you know, even with Houston kind of petering out at the end of their series, I thought that would go seven for sure. Especially after the injury, it was like, oh shit, the, you know, this is like a script you could write. KD gets yeah, hurt. It does. Uh, the you know, uh, you know, you're you're missing two two players at that point who are, I mean, consummate all stars. Uh, yeah. You know, you kind of forget about the other injury, even just because they have so many good players. But yeah, yeah that that was kind of anticlimactic to me as far as the fact that it didn't go seven. And then we watched last night. You know, we're recording this on uh, Wednesday, so I mean, referring to the game one of the Western Conference Finals, there, it was just kind of like one team looked super tired, but at also at the same time, like we might have just run into the fact that Houston was the only other good team. Yeah, well, like the only Houston team capable dubbed, of really Houston. pushing them. Yeah. 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 As far as, like, just being able to defend that kind of team, it seemed like the last two years they looked like, you know, it was damn close. It was neck and neck, obviously, last year, and then up until, like, game six there this year. So yeah. it, it might, you know, you talk about how good it was. It might suck from here on out save the Western <laughs> Conference Finals. I'm, I'm very pumped for that. But yeah, yeah. The, the Western Conference Finals, they might suck. Yeah, I think like the Western five games Conference. Might be yeah, I, I yeah, I don't think the Western Conference Finals are really worth spending a ton of words on. Um, but the Eastern Conference Finals should be amazing, and and the finals should be amazing. I thought round two, top to bottom, was probably the most exciting and enjoyable round of playoff basketball of my adult life. Uh, I don't think there was really a close second. Um, the fact that you had the drama within the Warriors, you know, the fact that the Warriors. Uh, Rocket series felt like the finals was huge, and then even then to throw a monkey wrench in it, and that now they have to do it without Durant. Can they do it? Oh, they did it without Durant, and now likely not expecting Durant to come back. Who you know can they can they still win the final? You know, a lot lot of lot of questions. Things completely got flipped on their heads, and that's very exciting. Uh, and then you add to that uh, the emergence of Giannis in that series with the Celtics was amazing. Like he really absolutely was you know awe inspiring play for those four wins in a row against the Celtics. Uh, and then, um, yeah, the uh, the two game sevens. One which, uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll do a little autopsy on both of these, starting with uh, uh, the Raptors-Sixers, because that one's the most fun. But that uh, that 
Portland, you know, road win game seven was pretty damn impressive as well. Um, so it was, it was, a can, damn can we take a Sunday. step back there quick? Sure. Sure. As you know, you two, you two guys have way, and like I, I joked about doing this, but it might just turn into Andy asking you guys questions again. But, uh, <laughs> as someone, you know, you guys have the pulse, your, your fingers on the pulse of the NBA more. I'm, I'm looking at golf shit all day. Like, I'm, like I said, I watch the games, but you guys know better than that. What I've heard, just heard a million different things on Katie. What, what is your opinion? Do you think it's just, he misses two games and then he's back and he's healthy? Because no, you know, at no. first it's like, oh, his legs fucked up. He's done for the year. No, like, that was it's, not, it's not good that we haven't heard time. anything. Yeah, I, it's I, not good I, that we haven't heard yeah. anything. That's right. That's, I, my, that's what my I thought. Opinion, my opinion in the moment, my opinion the day after, my opinion now, almost a week later, uh, is he's done for 2019. I don't think we see him until 2020, probably. Like after, like I, I think he legitimately partially tore his uh, his Achilles here there for whatever reason, they're keeping it under wraps as sort of this calf strain to kind of keep the other teams that are still alive on their toes. Maybe I really don't know what the benefit of lying about it is, but I don't think they're being truthful that it's a calf strain. Uh, I think it's just kind of a typical oh, lower leg injury. Uh, and then like out, you know, sometime in you know late June, we find out, Oh, actually, yeah, it was a partially torn Achilles and he'll be out until like January 1st. Um, like that won't, that won't surprise me. Yeah, when they first reported it, um, what I remember actually was they said it was a calf sprain, which is not a thing. Now, that might have been <laughs> yeah, them just right. trying to report it too yeah. quickly. It, it might have been some of them trying to, you know, throw a little misnomer and not really know what's going on. But to call it a calf sprain, that's, you know, for anybody that knows anything about medicine, a sprain has to do with a ligament and a calf is a muscle. Yeah, so you, that just isn't a thing. A joint. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Exactly. So, yeah. you know, to hear that, I'm, I'm kind of with you, Whale. I don't know that he tore his Achilles. I think that would probably be out. You know, there's, I'm sure people just whose job it is to follow Kevin Durant around and see how he's walking all day. So I think if he tore his Achilles, we probably know by now, but I think because we haven't heard anything and they don't really seem interested to play him, you know, this Portland series, like you said, is we could probably wrap it up right now. Golden State's going to win. It's maybe in five games, we'll get a gentleman sweep, but they don't need Kevin Durant. So maybe they just sit him out this week and maybe we see him for the finals, but I, I don't know how you trust somebody that hasn't played basketball that has this kind of strange injury and, you know, injuring your calf, injuring your Achilles, that seems to be the one injury that, you know, as great as modern medicine is, we still struggle with that. You can tear your ACL and come back and be okay. You can pretty much do whatever you, whatever you want to your knee and come back and be okay. You can snap your leg like Paul George and Gordon Hayward and come back, but, you know, Boogie Cousins yeah. didn't look right after that Achilles tear, you know, and, and you see it all the time. So yeah, um, right. if I'm Golden State, I'm not playing him unless I absolutely need him. And and the flip side is Durant. Like if it's a partial Achilles, that he has a zero point zero incentive stepping on the court again this season. Like there really is, you know, he's he's going into his free agency, you know, kind of opportunity to cash in with a mega deal in in, in the Knicks. And I think that is the writing is on the wall there. Uh, and I would expect uh, the next time you see him is probably this fall, the soonest in a Knicks jersey, if not, uh, you know, sometime in twenty twenty. Realistic. You don't think. You don't think Dolan wants him playing to try to drive up jersey sales for when he makes the big switch? <sighs> yeah, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think so. But, no yeah, way. No, so, that so would be dumb. Let's talk about uh, Game 7. Well, I guess that makes sense, back, yeah. too. Even if he was ready to go, like maybe maybe save him. Because, I mean, the, the Bucks. I mean, the Bucks for sure. Do you? I mean, just from your guys' opinion again, Either Eastern Conference team is going to be a tougher test than the the Blazers. Hundred percent, hundred percent agreed. Yeah, yes. that goes without saying. So, strong I mean, agree. If you if you have the opportunity to get them back, maybe yeah, like you said, just just wait. 
let's just play these five games, maybe less, get to the finals, and then see if we need the snake. I think yeah, they'll well, maybe try to play him one game just to just to see what he looks like. Um, you know, if we don't if see him at all in this Portland back, yeah. season, right? I don't think we'll, if we don't see him at all in this Portland season, it's hard to think we'll play in the finals. But if we see him for a few minutes for one game, that's a good sign that we'll get to see him for the finals. Yep. Yep. Let's go back and hit uh, some Philly Toronto game seven. Uh, Noops, I'm going to see the floor because uh, I know you've been thinking about this a lot. You've been reliving it a lot. You're hopefully over enough of the trauma to kind of give us a, a, an unbiased uh, breakdown of what the hell happened here because, it, you know, the, it was right freaking there. Like, going into that game, I didn't think they had a great shot, the Sixers, that is. I didn't think that they were going to be able to, to get it done on the road. Uh, I didn't think they had the right matchup to stop Kawhi. But it was right freaking there. Like, when you were watching that fourth quarter, did you think, like, oh, man, if Jimmy Buckets can just hit one of these, you know, threes on one of these broken possessions, like, this is our game? Like, how, like how, how, how did it go down uh, from your perspective? So that game specifically, um, I was actually really excited with the way the game started. That was the kind of game the Sixers were going to win. Um, the Sixers, if you haven't watched them all year um, and you watch that Toronto series, that was a real microcosm of what the Sixers really were, especially if you add in kind of what we saw from the Nets series. You know, the Nets, a truly inferior team talent-wise to what the Sixers have, but the Sixers not really taking them seriously that first game. And, you know, for large portions of that series, I don't think the Sixers are really focused or involved. But, you know, talent overwhelms. Um, you know, you get to the Raptors. They finally see someone that's that's really a challenge for them. And, um well, I hope everyone's okay. Um, you, know, you see someone that's it's a real challenge for them in the Raptors, a team that's actually talented, that, that has some cohesiveness. And you know, to watch the Sixers kind of take some punches and really give them right back for, for those first six games were really enthusiastic. I went into that game seven, you know, not feeling optimistic about our chances, but when that first quarter ends, we're playing a Sixers game. It's ugly. It's, you know, Kawhi doesn't really look comfortable. No one on Toronto looks comfortable. And Joel Embiid's just kind of being bigger than everybody. And Ben Simmons is, is kind of walking around. He's got a little – he had just the right amount of swagger at the beginning of the game and, and was kind of attacking the basket. Um, you know, Tobias Harris comes and goes. He's a, he's a really interesting and talented player, and we'll probably talk more about him in the future a little bit later. But, um, you know, him and J.J. Redick, you know, flying around the court trying to get some space. And you just kind of had this slow slog of a game. And then – you get to the fourth quarter and you know every Sixers fan I think was doing the same thing I was doing just just nervous nervous knowing that we needed to go into that final possession with a lead and probably a two-shot lead because you know Brett Brown and I've talked a lot about him in our chat and I've tweeted a little bit about him is does a lot of nice things you know I have more nice things to say about him at the end of this year than I did at the beginning um, he did an incredible job managing chaos that Sixers lineup that we got to see I think only get to play something like 15, maybe 16 games. I know it was less than 20 games starting all year. And, and he somehow put that together. But at the end of games, we saw a couple really glaring mistakes. We saw, you know, number one, Joel Embiid was gassed. He plays 45 minutes in that game. And, I, you know, I understand it's game seven. It's your, your best player and you have to play him. But Brett Brown ran him in the ground all year. He averaged, I think, 34 minutes a game, which doesn't sound like a lot. But when you look at some of the top players, you know, like Kawhi, I don't, I don't think he played more than 27, 28 minutes a game, the little games that he did even play this year. You know, so you take up all those minutes for Joel Embiid throughout the year. And then, you know, 45 minutes. And I understand it's tough to put Jonah Bolden on the floor or, or tough to put Amir Johnson on the floor, or even Greg Monroe for a few minutes. But you can't have him out there looking that way and just being exhausted. Honestly, when it came to the last shot, I was worried that we were going to go into overtime and just get crushed. Yeah, um, yeah. 
it was really tough to watch him. And, you know, you have Brett Brown, who seems to understand how to motivate a group of young people to do stuff, but not necessarily knows how to draw up a play. We had, I can't remember if it was three or four shot clock violations in the last few minutes of that game. Yeah, there were three straight that didn't come down to true shot clocks, but they were damn close. Yeah. It, it was, and it wasn't even just that they didn't get a shot off. They didn't even know they had to get a shot off. You know, they were passing the ball with like a second left on the shot clock. It was unbelievable to watch. So we have this tight game. The Sixers have a chance like, to win. Yeah, it was like watching high school girls basketball there. Like it was, <laughs> it like was people wild. are always going to remember. You know, it was weird. The, the only, the, yeah, the takeaway, the takeaway from the game, I mean, just from uh, a week, a month, a year from now, everyone's going to remember that shot. But Jesus, if you play for Philly or if you're a Philly fan, I think what you're going to remember is those last three, four possessions that were just the the most trash possessions you could possibly have at the worst possible time. Like, Some of it was Toronto's D. Should have won the game. Like I think they should. No, and t- Toronto, and I I will say that like, and maybe you guys should weigh in on this. Are they the best defense left in the left in the playoffs? Is that for sure? Uh, I mean, I it's all so. Matt. It's, it's all it's all styles now, really. Um, yeah. The Warriors. Yeah, I mean, like, 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 uh, like the Warriors. The way they match up defensively against the 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 uh, the the Trailblazers. Well, yeah, no, pretty, they're fucked in the finals, but good. um, but like yeah, I'm yeah, saying, I they're guess, they're you know getting I, way I, ahead. Yeah. Their defense yeah. can help them hang. I guess. I guess. Yeah. It's, yeah. They, I think the rap. I mean, the Raptors. You know, Kawhi himself is is a phenomenal defensive talent, and you you know having someone like that who can take away uh, the an opposing team's you know second first or second you know scoring option regularly throughout as many minutes as he can play is pretty important um they're, but they're I, a great I, defensive I, yeah. team yeah they're a great defensive team in total you've got Kawhi, and then you have danny green who's just as good as anybody on the perimeter you have serge abaca who you can plug in as a forward or a center and then marcus all is as smart as anybody and yep. they've got a nice system you know the defense in the playoffs is tough you look at the regular season numbers i think milwaukee probably has the best defense of the teams left but you look at effort you look at who was playing toronto is probably as good as anybody andy Yep. Yep. Strong agree. Um, so then let me, yeah, and I, I didn't, I didn't want to take away from them, you know, as far as giving Philly shit, you know, I've, I've ripped on Philly a little, like it is, there are 10 guys on the floor. It's not all Philly's game planning, but you know, you like uh, noobs just mentioned there with Embiid and this might be, this end up, you know, this could end up being the case with Toronto, even though they do get, you know, a day, an extra day compared to what the Blazers got. But, you know, they're going to be a little gassed here, too. But let's say Philly does end up winning that game. They have one decent possession at the end there, and then they don't have the, you know, quadruple doink that goes in. And they win that game with Embiid playing, like, 45, 46 minutes. I mean, are they, what's that line for that series? <sighs> yeah, it's not like that, as close. As, they're it's not as close. Yeah, pretty, for sure. For sure. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, my, my you know, it, it sucks for are... Philly. It sucks for Philly not making the conference finals, but I don't think they had a real good shot at that point anyway of you know getting past Milwaukee. Yeah, I agree with that. But uh, you know, I mean, the the Embiid stuff is weird because you're right that Brown did run him into the ground this year. He also sustained some kind of injury at the All Star game that n- never really got fully, you know you know, really got fully exposed in terms of what happened and, you know, what his health was. He missed a lot of time down the stretch. He definitely didn't have his fitness to 100%. Like, he wasn't perfectly game fit in either of the two series that I saw. Uh, And then, yeah, playing him as much as they played him in Game 7 was crazy. Like, I get it, Greg Monroe. Like, you didn't have to be a freaking rocket scientist to look at the box score plus minus and realize that Greg Monroe was a freaking disaster in in the losses. 
Uh, and then, you know, even in their win in game six, Boban somehow managed like a minus 20 in like the four minutes he played. Like it was insane. weird. It was insane. So, so yeah, you look at those two players and their performance in that series, and you're like, well, can't play Monroe. Well, can't play Boban. But like they have another option at center. They have a good one. And he was on the floor a lot. But for some reason, Brett Brown did not want to break up Ben Simmons and uh, Joel Embiid. Like, is that a lot? Is this is this a, is this a, a, a um a criticism that has merit? Should uh, should they have played uh, Simmons at the at the five in some in some of the first and you know, maybe first second quarter uh, to give uh, Embiid more of a blow so he wasn't completely totally trashed by fourth quarter? It's one of the most frustrating parts watching Brett Brown teams because in games that Joel Embiid doesn't play, Ben Simmons plays point center. He brings the ball up the floor and either attacks the basket on the break or dumps it off to somebody, either sets a screen for the ball handler and becomes the roll man, or goes down to the post, posts up whoever's small to him, takes the ball, and essentially runs the offense from down there. They do it beautifully in games that Joel Embiid doesn't play in. But for some reason, when Embiid's playing in the game, Brett Brown won't take Embiid off the floor and then let Simmons do that. I don't know if it's a Simmons thing. I don't know if it's a Brett Brown thing. I know that Brett Brown isn't the world's greatest X and O man. He seems to be a good character builder. He's building a culture. You know, I keep hearing that. I don't, you know, I know that's a good thing, but I'm not sure how to judge that or if anyone actually knows how to judge that. I hope it's true. But when you look at his X's and O's and what he does coming out of timeouts, it's rough. So maybe he's not drawing it up. Or maybe Ben Simmons just doesn't try hard enough. Um, one of the most frustrating things about watching him, and you saw a ton of it in game one, he'll just some games decide he's not dribbling below the three-point line. I don't know if he's tired or if he's hurt or if he sees somebody he doesn't feel like playing basketball with or something. It's weird. Um, and I don't know if it's, you know, we attribute it to that, but I would love to see him more as a center. I think he could be, one of, honestly, one of the 10 best centers in the league. I mean, you think about the way the yeah. league is right now. There's sure. not that many sure. big guys anymore. Like, And you can find another big guy to guard the truly big guys for those teams. You know, you sign – somebody to play next to him who really is six foot 10, six foot 11 to play bruisers. But what do you got three or four guys in the league now that play that way? I mean, he can guard most of those guys or at least hang with them. And then offensively, he's an unbelievable post player. He attacks the boards like crazy on offense, but who knows if he's motivated. Right, right. No, and you make a good point. Instead of leaning into his weakness, which is he's a guard that can't shoot, lead into his strength, which is that he can, he, he provides an extremely diverse, uh, skill set that uh, you know can you, you should be able to maneuver around uh, you know lean into his strengths really is what I'm getting at. Right. Um, so yeah, exactly. what did you what did you think then of the last the last possession last shot? Did you pretty much assume that was going in as it left the hand? I mean, what, what, what was what was what was that like? Well, you already know the answer to that question, um, <laughs> but I'll break it down for everybody. So you know the Toronto Raptors come down the floor. I, I don't actually remember the third to last possession of the game. The Toronto Raptors do something and score. We go down the floor, we give the ball to Jimmy Butler, and I go back to this moment I've had, I don't know, maybe 25 times this year where, well, Jimmy's got the ball. Jimmy's going to shoot the ball. I can't wait to see what's going to happen. Are we going to get the turnaround fadeaway? Are we going to get the step back fadeaway? Are we going to get the herky-jerky? I hope I'm getting fouled. But he gets the ball, and, and one of the things that he's really great at attacking the basket is actually slowing down. It's kind of a wild concept when you think about it, but when you're attacking the rim and all of a sudden you're able to slow down a little bit, it really throws off the defender, especially if you can catch him you know, with his at his feet set. That's exactly what he did. He attacked the basket, made one slowdown dribble. The guy went right by him, and he goes in for the layup. I went nuts. I stood up in my house, threw my hands up, not a single person here, my wonderful girlfriend sleeping. Hopefully I didn't wake her up. Um, and I'm going nuts. You know, they go down the floor. Now it's Toronto's turn. And, and 
I sit down for a second and I start to process it all and Kawhi's going to make the shot. I don't know how he's going to make the shot. He's going to make the shot. I, I think I, you know, I said that to you guys in the group and so oh, he goes you totally, down the you called it. Yeah, it was, he was going to make the shot. I thought it was going to be a long two. I can't remember if I said long two, but Kawhi was making the shot. So the Raptors get the ball and they go down the floor and we're now going to go into something and I've watched this. I don't know if I've watched it a thousand times yet, but we're getting close. Um, and this haunts me at this point because yeah, I'm about maybe to one break of these down times to you, it doesn't get. Yeah, maybe one of these times it doesn't go in. Though, you know? I I don't know. Did you I see the one where they set it to the Rocky music? I I, I did. <laughs> oh I, my I god! They, they even took your guys as hero. Oh, that, so, that's my favorite one. Uh, and honestly, if you didn't me. wake your girlfriend up, uh, I don't know if you're a true fan. I woke up. Well, I woke up. The kid. I only had one kid at that point. When uh, <laughs> the the comeback, the the Cleveland comeback, uh, three four years ago now, I woke up everybody. Yeah, she, luckily she's a good sleeper. A Cleveland fan. I just had money on it. <laughs> All right. So you guys ready for the blow by blow? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So Kawhi gets the ball. They inbound it at the top of the three point line. Um, there's a couple movement, and I actually love the inbound play because it looked like a modified version. If you guys remember the. Uh, the double pick down low for Reggie Miller to get open for a three. They actually ran basically that exact same play, but right around the free throw line. Um, so they run that play, and it's obviously they're trying to get Kawhi the ball. And I see it, and I'm like, is he really going to shoot a three? There's a bunch of time left. That doesn't feel right. So he catches the ball, and that's obviously not the plan. They, they kind of move some space around him. Simmons is guarding him. And Embiid was guarding you know, one of the screeners, but isn't even looking at him. So it seems like at this point the, the plan pretty clearly is Simmons is going to guard Kawhi and Embiid is going to come up and try to double team him. So to, Kawhi sort of sees this and starts going into the corner. I, th I think the corner is one of his favorite spots. He, he seemed to go to it a lot during the series. So he starts to drive towards the corner and Joel Embiid blows the double team. You know, when you're setting up a double team, anybody that, that's played basketball, you know, the angles are really important. You're trying to create basically a right angle where you cover one side and the defender covers the other side. You kind of box the guy in so he has nowhere to go. Um, but instead of standing, you know, kind of perpendicular to, Bo to Ben Simmons, he stood next to him and actually set a screen. So if you go back and watch the play, <laughs> yeah, right, Simmons right, right. kind of slides to the side and runs into Joel Embiid, and Kawhi goes right by Simmons. Now Joel Embiid, to his credit, is able to stay with Kawhi and follow him all the way to the corner. Kawhi goes to the corner, jumps up, and Bede gets a hand in his face. And, and this is where I am maybe a little off the deep end here, but Kawhi <laughs> Leonard shoots a moon ball. Now, Kawhi Leonard doesn't shoot moon balls. I've watched him shoot 100 jump shots in this series, thousands probably in my life. That's not how he shoots a basketball. There's only one reason that I can think that he shot a moon ball because Joel Embiid was guarding him. I think that he looked at the guy in front of him and saw seven foot two, seven foot three of of human coming at him and went, you know what? I'm going to get a couple extra feet underneath this ball. Otherwise he's going to block it. And then it hits the front of the rim. And the only way, and I've tweeted the, the video to maybe a dozen physics accounts on Twitter. And I'm really disappointed physics community that not one of you have gotten back to me. Yet. But I swear <laughs> to God, there is no other way. There's just no way. There's no other shot, but that shot, but that moon shot over Joe Allen beads, giant arm, that doesn't hit the rim and softly bounce up and get just the spin he needs in the right direction, takes the second bounce, hits the other side of the rim, then the back of the rim, and drops right in. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unreal. It was. I, 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 yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Never Ugh. seen anything. Andy got yourself blocked by some, some scientists. 
Like it was a, it was an overall <laughs> bad day. <laughs> Ugh, the yeah. whole thing. Yeah, whole it was uh, it was incredible. Well, uh, at least you had kind of some skin in the game for what was probably the most spectacular shot of basketball of our adult gambling lives. I gotta think. Um, well, honestly, and I got some Raptors tickets, so it's not too bad. Yeah, that's there. You go, there you go. You got some Raptors tickets, so there's gambling. Choice. It makes you feel better. Yeah. So, uh, so where from here, Philly? What do, what do we do now? We uh, we we gonna resign Jimmy Butler? Jimmy Butler? Does he want to come back to Philly? Uh, does I don't it make does it make sense to pair him with uh, and with a core of Embiid and Simmons? You really you can't possibly uh, you know let go of this y- young nucleus of of Simmons and Embiid, right? I every single day, if you asked me every single day for the next year, what I thought of Ben Simmons, I would have 365 different opinions. Yeah, I, I don't know what to do with him. He is breathtakingly talented. He's one of the best passers I've ever seen. He's an incredible rebounder. He's a brilliant athlete. He has some of the best footwork I've seen from a young player in the post. It's incredible, but he won't shoot the freaking basketball. I don't know why he won't shoot the basketball. I don't know why his friends never made fun of him when he was a little kid for not shooting a basketball. I don't know why his dad, his uncle, his coach, no one at this point has done anything to get him to shoot jump shots. It's beyond me. Joel Embiid is one of the most exciting players in the league. I'm in. I'm totally in on Joel Embiid. I'm going to do whatever I can to get a title in the next five years. we got five years of Joel Embiid, and you know, given his – physical history I, I don't know how that's going to go i'm more optimistic than most people he's i think at least two inches at this point taller than when we drafted him so i think that his body actually probably hasn't settled until maybe the last couple of years so i'm optimistic yeah, that sure. maybe with some off-season training he cuts weight a little bit you know gets on the lebron yoga bubbles and, and figures all that stuff out maybe he can get his joints right and actually be in shape but we have five years to win a championship and i'm ready to do whatever we can to do that does that include that jimmy does that include jimmy butler in 2020? I, you know, Jimmy Butler, and, and this is, I've been going back and forth on this. You know, Jimmy Butler, the way I've described him is he's a guy who makes a lot of shots that shouldn't go in. Um, you watch him over and over and over again, shoot the ball from these positions, and you just feel sick. Your whole body clenches up. You're like, oh, my God, why do you? It's in. He made it. Sure, sure. He made it. We won. And then you forget about it. And, it's, and you don't know what to do. You don't know whether to trust it, whether to fight against it. But what I do know is, his attitude is is top tier. His mental strength, what he brings to the floor in terms of toughness and the attitude he gives the team, I love that. But I don't know if I love it for four years for a four year max contract. That's where the problem comes. Mm. You know, if he's willing to sign maybe a two year max or a three year max, where you know that third year maybe we're not thrilled at you know 33, 34 year old Jimmy Butler, but you know we've got an expiring max contract to trade. You know that that's not the worst thing in the world, but four years, five years, and we give him like the real max because I think we have his bird rights or whatever it is. That scares me. Yeah. Yeah. How about Tobias Harris? Can, I mean, can we talk? You, I mean, just Noops brought up, we have five years to win a championship. And maybe I'm getting ahead of the the schedule outline that you put together that I didn't read. Sure. But the, the landscape, I mean, and I am, I know we are, but the landscape of the East, like, I mean, we'll we'll talk in more in depth, but like you know, Kawhi's probably out. Um, obviously, the Bucks stay tough. Maybe the Celtics take a step back if they lose some players. Um, the Knicks are the Knicks suddenly good? Like the the East is still going to be just a freaking dogfight in the Final Four again I, for the foreseeable future. It's a 
it's a rough it's a rough time to have that sort of timetable, but I suppose it's it, it goes for everybody else too. Yeah. And then of I'd course, actually, if, I'd actually disagree with the, that. You know, if the dubs stay together, I think now's the time to be well, good. Yeah, I, I would too if I was a Philly fan. Well, it's you know you got Giannis. That's my biggest concern. But I think the Celtics yeah, right. are going to take a step back, um, yeah. and I'm not you know Kawhi's leaving. Oh yeah, for so. sure. Let's do it. Yeah, I think. Or are I mean, you worried? Are you worried about having Durant in the East all of a sudden now too? All of a sudden, you you might have to go through still, Durant still and the Knicks, right? He'll still be on the Knicks. The New York Knicks? Yes, yes. Those New yeah. York Knicks, right? The yeah, New York yeah. Knicks? Yeah, yeah, I'm the, good. The Knicks, yeah. No, no, I think I think in 20 I mean maybe maybe in in a couple of uh, a couple of cycles, you know, they they populate a team around Durant that's competitive, but I think I think the Knicks with Durant. Oh yeah, it's not Nets, next the year. Nets. Yeah. And you know, and granted like the Knicks beyond Durant like is still a huge question mark. Do they make a trade for Anthony Davis? Do they sign Kyrie Irving? Like these are very real like you know, these are very real possibilities that take them from like a tier below uh, the Bucks with Giannis and make them the you know the, an equal tier. But you know, but you know, just assuming like KD to the Knicks and Kyrie not to the Celtics, I think you're still you're looking at you know a one uh, of uh, of the Bucks and Giannis for the next you know for the foreseeable future. Uh, and I think if you're Philly, you want to separate yourself from the rest of the pack and be the clear number two. Uh, and to do that, I don't, I don't know what you need around Embiid and, and Simmons, but that's a good starting point. Uh, I think if you deal Simmons, you're crazy. I think if you, you know, if you kind of use, I don't know, I, I, I'm not sure what to do. I just, I, I don't know that you bring back uh, Jimmy buckets. I think you probably need to let him go because I kind of agree. Yeah. Give him like a five year max. That's that's kind of. You know that's putting yourself into a, a very tough situation as far as flexibility for the for the future. So it's it's tough to in to your really in your of... little scenario with the Knicks there, the yeah. you know let's say Durant trade the farm for Davis, sign Kyrie, you're putting them as like you know Bucks and Knicks one one A, yeah, and then obviously <laughs> I, you know I I had the Celtics in Philly, Celtics in Philly. I mean that that's a solid. I just don't know what else you can put around that. That's a lot of. That's a lot of salary, but why are people excited about Kyrie and KD playing together? It's it just feels like Kyrie can still play when he wants. Like Kyrie can play when he wants. And Kyrie play. It feels an awful lot like Kyrie and LeBron playing against each other, where they went to however many finals in a row together. So I mean, it it does have that that exactly. Is KD KD LeBron though? I, I don't think mentally that's the deal. I. I wonder who the the leader of that team is. Are the two of those guys actually going to step up and lead a group of men? Or are they going to do what they've done their whole career and Katie's kind of be not, weird? not a leader. Make it Anthony uh, Davis. Right. Anthony Davis is that a leader. Team. I'm putting him in charge. <laughs> yeah, right. That's, I, I, I don't see, is it the coach who does it? Who fills that role on that team? I think it's, when we look back at all the NBA champions, there was a clear guy and it was that guy's team. And, you know, there were other contributors and stuff, but there was a leader and I don't, I think about Kyrie and I think about Kevin Durant and think about Kyrie and the Celtics and the big step back they took this year, honestly. And you think about, you know, Kevin Durant on Oklahoma City and, and how that was Russell Westbrook's team. And you think about how excited Golden State looked playing without Kevin Durant the other night. I don't I'm fine. If, if Kevin Durant and Kyrie go jo- go join forces and play for the Knicks for years, I'm good. As a Philadelphia 76ers fan, that is not gonna worry me for one second. Okay. Fair enough. Um, we're going to we're have to clip that audio <laughs> for the, when the Knicks take the two seed next year. Um, and then, I mean, just the rest of I mean, in this scenario, the Celtics take a, 
a, a fair step back. And honestly, I don't know if they were how good they were this year. I think there was a big drop off after the three, the top three. And I mean, they had one really nice game. That was that was fun for Boston fans. But then, are we? What, what's your percentage? I mean, rank your percentage of surety, if that's a word that uh, Kawhi does not stay in Toronto. If, are you asking me? I'm gonna. 80? I'm gonna. No. Yeah, I'm Manny, both of you. Both of you. Say, I'm sixty. Say it's seventy-five. Seventy-five to eighty. Yeah, eighty actually sounds right to me. I think he's out. Yeah, I think he is too. I think the writing is on the well, wall. That's a, and that's a huge of, plus for you know, a Philly moving guy his too. life yeah. to Los get, Angeles. Get him in. Get him to the Clippers. Yeah, yeah. Right, he's I, just I mean, place yeah. to be. Yeah, Toronto. Toronto without Kawhi, like if you're building a team around uh, Kyle Lowry and Pascal Siakam. Like yeah, you're you're a five you're a five six seed at that point. Uh, maybe Oladipo comes back and is is uh, is aggressive next year for the Pacers. They're a five six seed. Uh, the Nets feel frisky. Uh, the Celtics are going to have some youth and maybe they get a better performance out of Hayward next year. Maybe not, but you know I think I think these teams are all in a very clear second tier to uh, to Philly and uh, the Bucks and then whatever you know the Knicks get with you know whatever they can put around KD. Um, in my opinion, um, but uh, but still, it's it seems like Giannis is is going to own the East for uh, for the foreseeable future, unless something else, uh, unless something sours in that relationship. But you never know. Well, and their midseason trade, whatever it was, a trader, yeah, like they they were good and they improved, and I don't think I don't see a big difference. Like, I, I what do we have for contracts or whatever? Like, are they in, in danger of losing any of the pieces? It doesn't seem like it. Yeah, Middleton's a free agent this year. Uh, no guarantee oh, he comes yeah. back to the Bucks. Um, Bledsoe's, yeah, he's overperformed uh, to a degree. He, yeah, he's, yeah, he. I, 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 I don't. Yeah, the Bucks are going to be the Bucks are going to be hard pressed to kind of um, you know reestablish their dominance around. Uh, Giannis, but Giannis is 24. He's going to get better, and he already freaking owns the East. So it's it's uh it's going to be you know it's going to be tough to oust them. Uh, although you know until we see a series between uh, the Bucks and the Sixers, it's going to be tough to to rule out the Sixers. I have to say. So um, interesting, uh, kind of how the landscape goes. What do you think of uh, of this uh, Eastern Conference Finals? Uh, is this uh, something you're looking forward to watching these games, Snoops? Every single one I'm going to watch. I can't wait to watch this series. Um, you know, it start, started just a few minutes ago. I've got it on here on mute, actually, um, you know, doing my best to pay attention to this and not that. But um, this is going to be a great series. I think Toronto is an unbelievable team of veterans that have been here before that know how to win. And the Bucks fit the outline of the young up-and-comer that could dominate the league for years and years. This Bucks team really is starting to feel – you know, not the exact same style and same players, but the same success pattern and, and path as the Warriors when they won their first title. I think, what was that, 2013, 2014, whatever year that was. Um, I'm, I'm really excited to watch both of these teams. You have Giannis finally facing you know a team that I think has the players and, and the plan to maybe slow him down a little bit. So this is going to be really exciting. Um. The key breakdown amongst our sharp friends who discuss, and we talked about this for you know, for a long time today. <laughs> so this is a lot of uh, recycled thoughts and, and kind of conversation from our uh, NBA or get the fuck out crew. Um, the um, the supporting cast around Giannis, uh, 
if you can stop Middleton, and this is kind of my my underlying underpinning why I think the Raptors have a shot in the series. If you can stop Middleton from contributing scoring when Giannis is getting a break or when, um, you know, when he's, if he's not having a great stretch of the game or a game in general, uh, then I don't see really a ton of these other guys being able to elevate uh, the team in general uh, to compete with the, the Raptors. And, you know, I, I almost don't even want to bring this up because this game is going on right now, but that's exactly how this is playing out. Like none of these guys are hitting their threes. Uh, you know, this is wild. One for nine bucks right now from three pointers, uh, you know, a little bit more than halfway through the first quarter. Like, is is that the Achilles heel of this Bucks team? And and if you can put Kawhi on Middleton, for instance, let let Giannis have what he wants. Let get, let him have 35, 40 points a game. You know, let him let him be the hero for the team. Stop everyone else. How you know, how are they putting up enough points to to compete with you uh, if you're if you're the Raptors? This reminds me, Giannis specifically reminds me of two players that, that I spent a lot of time watching in my life, LeBron James and, and Shaquille O'Neal, in that their singular talents that dominated their team, the, the whole team was really built around them and their ability to succeed. And the players around them really thrived based on that idea. But basketball is beautiful in that you have to play together. You know, you can have one player that's better than everyone else. You can have it be someone's team, but everyone else has to be involved. They have to feel like they're doing something that builds the success of the team. And that's not just getting shots up or making baskets. That's setting the right screens. That's moving around and doing the right things on offense. That's having, you know, a purpose on defense. You know, I think that's really a lot of the attitude that the Spurs are built on. And that's for anyone that's played basketball at a high level or, or really at all, you know, for over their life, I think understands that. And what happens is when you have a player like Giannis, when you have a player like Shaq, and you have a player like LeBron, I, I think the successful strategies historically have been to you know, do your best to slow them down. They're the most important player on the floor. Everyone kind of needs to know where they are. But you pick one guy, and, and you give one guy that opportunity. Um, you know, For LeBron, I'm trying to think of, of some of those teams. But um, you, know, you pick one guy, and, and you kind of put that person on LeBron or on Shaquille, and you know that those guys might go off. They might score 50 points. They might score 40 points or whatever, and just have an absolutely unbelievable game and beat you. But they're going to get tired doing it. And not only are they going to get tired, their teammates are going to get sick of playing because they haven't touched the ball. They haven't, <laughs> been, ball, they haven't been doing anything. And you pick the couple teammates, just like you were saying, like Middleton, and you really get up in those guys' grill, and you make sure that they can't score. And then you force the ball to the guys that you really want shooting. You know, frankly, in this series, if I'm – um, playing against the Milwaukee Bucks, I'm letting Eric Bledsoe go. Let, he's, he needs to be open. He needs to feel like he wants to shoot the ball. I'm telling whoever's guarding him to just be chirping him the whole game. Come on, Eric, shoot it. Come on, I'll let you shoot it. Shoot it. But I'm not letting Chris Middleton get one clean look. I'm not letting Brooke Lopez get a clean look, to be honest. But, you know, kind of let those other guys try to beat you. You know, do what you can to stop the big guy. But shut down the important other pieces and make the game not fun for everyone else. And, and that's your best chance. Yeah. I like that. I like that strategy. And I think, I mean, I, I guess how, let's assume that it plays out that way uh, for game one. Let's assume, you know, obviously this is recording as the game is going on. So if you're listening to this on Thursday, apologies, because you'll already know the outcome here. Uh, and we're making some assumptions. Let's assume the Raptors get that done. And they, they kind of take our, our best look here and execute it to, to a T and get the win tonight. If you're Budenholzer, Budenholzer is generally a not a great 
guy when it comes to making adjustments, not a great guy to kind of, you know, go away from what he thinks is his baseline strategy. He just kind of keeps hammering at whatever he thinks is the right way to do things. And it either works or it doesn't, uh, you know, do you, do you expect him to make an adjustment, uh, if the, if the Raptors play that way and, and what is, what are the adjustments in his holster as far as kind of firing back and, and, you know, if they lose game one in the series, how do they kind of recover in game two? And, and how do we expect the kind of the fabric of the series to unfold? Well, basketball is all about matchups. you got to find a way to create some matchups. And whether that's forcing the Raptors to have guys guarding Giannis that aren't ready. Um, so you try to set as many pick and rolls as you can until you end up with Kyle Lowry guarding Giannis Attentacumpo. And then just kind of let Giannis do his thing. Um, you try to find ways to set up matchups, you know, maybe use Middleton as the screener. So he ends up with maybe a big guy that uh, was supposed to be guarding Giannis on him and he has the speed advantage. So you try things like that. Um, I haven't watched a ton of Budenholzer teams. You know, he coached Atlanta. Um, I'm trying to remember the other team he coached, but you know, I didn't get a chance to watch too many of those teams, but the little bit I did, you're right. He didn't seem to have too many fourth quarter adjustments or, or big changes. Um, but if I'm a walkie, I think I'm trying to do stuff like that, you know, trying to find the players you want to attack and, and, and making those switches and taking your time until you get them. Um, you know, the little bit and, you know, again, sorry guys, I know that we're watching this and it'll be over by now. It looks like, um, Milwaukee's a little overwhelmed right now. I don't think that these guys were ready for this level of talent and intensity. So we'll see how it goes. You know, right now there, it looks like Toronto's got a healthy lead in the first quarter, but we'll see how it ends. Yeah. Okay. Um, predictions for the series i like the raptors i've liked the raptors all year um our friends the nba or get the fuck out crew um you guys are the best and we've spent a lot of time talking about this i mean we're the raptors chat at this point i think just about everybody is holding the raptors to win the east or win the title ticket um you know the nba playoffs a lot of time is about two things who is the best player in the series and that is tough to find here it could be Kawhi, it could be Giannis. and the second factor is who's not afraid who's not going to blink and this Raptors team, you know, they've had some horrific losses, but they have some pieces on here that have been some important games. You know, this is Kawhi's first year. He's not bringing any of the baggage that Toronto's had the last few years with him. Marcus Gasol, same thing, not bringing any of that baggage. Ibaka's been on the team for, I think, two years at this point, but he's played in some incredible playoff games with Oklahoma City and had some big moments. So I think those three guys bring a new attitude to this Toronto team, and I don't think they're scared of this moment. This is the biggest moment in just about everybody in that Milwaukee team's career, Brooke Lopez even. I mean, you just go down the roster, Chris Middleton, Eric Bledsoe, um, Giannis Attentacumpo, Malcolm Brogdon. These guys have never played in, in, in Eastern Conference Finals, let alone at home against a team that is ready to come out and try to beat the absolute crap out of them. Yeah, and has the pieces to do it, <laughs> as we see right now. Um, how about So how about this? For our friends and for listeners who have been playing along, pulling for the Raptors, uh, in the East, uh, let's assume they get this win. What uh, what's our hedging strategy? Do we hedge or do we let this ride out? Do we call call Budenholzer's bluff? You don't actually have the adjustments. I mean, obviously, the fact that they just lost Game One to the Celtics and then turned around uh, and put like on a clinic for four straight games where it was not really competitive. Uh, does that uh, spook you at all? Uh, that, that kind of confidence that you can cut, they can come back and, and, and level things. Do we grab a little uh, a little bucks uh, at the deflated price after game one to cover our uh, exposure here? 
I think you have to. It, it depends how Giannis is going to look at the end of this game. And again, the first quarter's just finished here, and I think at this point Milwaukee just looks scared, and I want to see if they settle down or not. But I'm a wimp. I, I like buying out of my original stake, and I've got quite a bit invested in the Raptors doing the East. So if Toronto wins this game, and then I don't, what do you think, Will? What would the series price be? Maybe even at that point? Uh, yeah, maybe Bucks minus yeah. 105. Five-ish, minus one, one fifteen. What do you think? What do you think, Andy? Your your prediction for the series price was off by a mile. By the way, you thought it was going to be tighter. I was telling you it was going to be high. It ended up being even higher than I thought it was going to be. I was surprised Uh, it was that high. Yeah, I was way up. Maybe 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 I shouldn't even predict this, but no, I. I, You think it drop all the way to evens off a one road win? Minus one twenty-five. Yeah. Yeah. Depends how big they win. They win by twenty. Minus one thirty-eight. Minus one thirty-eight. So I think you have to think about maybe getting out of a little bit of your liability. I am. Um, I might not do it that way. I might actually buy some Milwaukee to win the championship um, because I think that number might move quite a bit, and I bet that's pretty healthy odds. Um, So I might actually buy a little bit of that, maybe buy out of some of my stake. But I'm still confident in this Raptors team. I like that idea. That's that's, that's a good idea. Yeah, that's a good idea. I I didn't have any. You you all had East liabilities, and I had nothing, so I did take some – I took some Raptors plus one and a half games. Oh, that's right around even minus one ten, something like that. So, so you need to I'd, I'd love this one. I'm not buying out of that. I'm just gonna let that ride. It's not a big bet because it's the NBA, baby. Yeah, yeah I mean, right. if, if the Bucks can win this series, I think they can give the Warriors some trouble. Now, you know, we have to assume Kevin Durant's not gonna play. If Kevin Durant's not playing, um, you know, Steph Curry is, is probably, frankly, going to roast whoever Milwaukee throws out at him. Maybe Eric yes. Bledsoe just punch him in the face in the first game and break his nose or something. Um, but, no, he should definitely not do that. But maybe he will. Uh, <laughs> you know, you look at Giannis. They don't have anybody to guard Giannis without Kevin Durant. I mean, I guess you try to put Draymond on him, but uh, Draymond's, you know, he's a great interior <sighs> defender. He's great at the rim, yeah. but I, I don't – I think that Giannis is going right by him if, if he has to guard him at the three-point line, which he, I think he does. Maybe put Clay Thompson on him, but what's he, a foot taller than Clay couldn't, Thompson? Couldn't he just hurt know. him? Well, that's possible, too. You're right. The injury bug could go yeah. both ways, but you know, you have to assume they're on the other. Well, I mean, up, couldn't Draymond just hurt, hurt Giannis? Right. Like, yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. For sure. That, that's would, that would be the play, I think. That would yeah, I think I you're mean. right. But, yeah. I miss Zaza. <laughs> uh, why um okay so okay so i i think i mean you know, from my perspective like i agree the raptors are a very tough matchup for the bucks they're going to be a very tough out and i like the raptors chances to still get this done uh the bucks on the other hand were they to go to the finals i think are a much more viable team in the finals against the warriors than the raptors would be which is weird to kind of frame it that way but that's I just, it's, they're just a bad matchup for the warriors uh, the Bucks are a bad matchup for the Warriors, in my opinion. That would be a very entertaining final, especially with no KD. Uh, totally let's talk agree. about the West. Let's talk about the West, yeah. and let's go back in time to Game Seven. Um, I personally think that that was really—I mean, it was—it was—it'll be remembered for being an, an impress, an especially remarkable game for CJ McCollum. CJ McCollum is a fucking G. He is a very good guy and he absolutely deserved to have like that kind of a game on his legacy and on his resume. Like that was so cool that, uh, you know, he got the block at the end that was so meaningful and then, you know, made the buckets uh, that really kind of sealed the deal or was pretty amazing. Um, major takeaway from the series. Uh, it was, um, it was wild how Dame Lillard ran out of gas. Uh, it was impressive how, you know, they found a matchup in Gary Harris that completely erased 
uh, Dame Lillard's impact on the series. Never would have thought that heading in, but uh, and then never would have thought that they would eventually then emerge victorious in the series, having that happen. Um, but uh, and you know the emergence of Jokic as kind of a top tier NBA player was amazing as well. Um, but uh, they just they didn't have quite enough uh, to get over the finish line, and I kind of feel like this was a bad loss for Denver. I kind of feel like this, they should have won this series. They were going up against the Trailblazers with no Nurkic. Like, this was this was right there for the taking for the Nuggets, who overachieved all year. Like, you know, what's your general take on the Nuggets noobs? Did they overachieve this year getting to the second round of the playoffs, or did they underachieve not winning this series and this Game 7 especially? Well, I'll give the most boring answer. This feels just about right. <laughs> um, I thought this Nuggets team was a little overrated all year. They won a lot of games, but it always felt like a regular season team to me. Um, one of the things sure. we talk about in our chat, and if you are capping the NBA or following the NBA, you know there are two very different seasons. And the way that Denver plays, you know, a lot of transition, spreading the floor, is honestly basketball that, that takes advantage of the regular season attitude of a lot of teams. I love Jokic. He's, he's a lot of fun to watch. I think he's going to be a great player for a long time. But going into that series, I struggle with Denver's guards. I don't see a lot in Jamal Murray that's really exciting. Gary Harris is fine, but you're not going to win a lot of games with him as your starting shooting guard or small forward or whatever position he's playing at this point. You know, Malik Beasley is okay. Monte Morris is okay. Will Barton is a disaster. Um, it's a perimeter game at this point. And if you don't have enough guards and, and Denver, I don't think does, you know, maybe Michael Porter can help him on the wing if he's healthy, but they need to go out this off season and, you know, try to draft a guard or trade for a guard or, or sign a guard. Um, they, they need somebody who, who can really initiate the offense and, and help Jokic at the end of these games. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds about right. Um, the, um, uh, the trailblazers, uh, are they going to win a game against the Warriors in your opinion? Maybe. I don't know. The Warriors seem to take the foot off the gas sometimes. So I think they might get to Portland and, uh, you know, maybe if Portland played in a bigger party city, I, I would think it would more likely. But I think there's a chance we get a gentleman sweep here. Golden State wins two in oh. Golden State, and maybe Portland wins game three or four. But uh, the sweep is definitely possible if the Warriors are motivated. What do you think, Andy? You say Portland's not a party city? You know, it's Portlandia? You know, I, all I know is Joel Embiid has never been sick when he's had to play in Portland. That's a good point. That is, that <laughs> is true. Um, point. Yeah, I, it, it, does, it does feel like. 50 50 on the sweep or the five game gentleman sweep. Like those are both like 49%. And then the other 2% is spread out somewhere on this game six happening. Like it seems highly likely they look tired. It was really cool. Like, I guess, you know, that's another one we talked about the two shots that we'll remember, but uh, McCollum regning for a game and really, yeah, that, that was neat. That was nice to see him because he is, he is a likable player and, I guess, uh, I don't know, maybe it was sp talking to Spoon, but I just didn't, I wasn't feeling like the the Blazers were ever going to lose that series because he had me fully convinced on Portland, I guess, at that point. And I guess the, the question I was going to ask as I was listening to you guys talk about, uh, you know, Portland Nuggets, if you had to take, you know, a step back into the beginning of the season, you know, even not even all the way back to November, but just maybe even around Christmas time, and say the Dubs and Rockets are going to meet in the second round. Who do you think they face in the in the in the conference finals? Like who would would you have picked Portland? I sure Never. sure wouldn't. No, they Never. felt like never. Or no, the Nuggets. I wouldn't have picked never. the Nuggets either. 
It would have been okay. The Nuggets. It been okay. Well, the Nuggets had enough had yeah. enough wins where they had the seed, but yeah, you're right. You probably you probably pick OKC, especially if it's the All Star break. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I would have thought it was more likely no, that Portland gets in get than, than gets to the conference finals. Yep. Oh, it's, um, it's wild. I kind of had, I kinda had a moment there. Yeah, no, I so, just had a moment there. Like when I when I thought about that when we got to Game Seven, I'm like, you know, earlier in the season, I this isn't kind of what I expected, and you know, things got goofy, and you can say what you want about teams not caring in the regular season. That's obviously a hundred percent a thing, and it would have been a lot better if we got Rocket stubs for the Western Conference Finals, but. Here we are, and I hope. I, I guess I hope Portland can put on a good show at home, at least in one of the games, and get a win for the fans because it's been a cool season for them. Yeah, that's true. That's fair. Um, so there's a narrative that has kind of emerged in the wake of the KD injury uh, that at first I was like, "Stop, stop, stop, stop! This is this is ridiculous. Stop!" But in the way that they handled their business in game five without KD and then in game six on the road uh, in its entirety, uh, it has now kind of crystallized, metastasized, whatever. Uh, and the narrative goes effectively, you, you know, the, the, the core of this Warriors team that existed pre-KD is so relieved to kind of have uh, a shot to prove that they can compete without him, uh, that they are playing especially good now uh, in, in his absence. And I take exception to this be, in part because the thinly veiled implication here is that they're like better off without him. And I think that that's patently ridiculous. Uh, and the odds would agree with me in terms of how they changed when he went out. Um, but the, you know, the, their future ads, but um, all that said, they're still an amazing team. They still have Steph Curry, who's, you know, a very, very difficult matchup. Um, and because they had KD all season, there's less miles on these guys than there would be had they played otherwise. Uh, and almost certainly, you know, you still have, you know, dynamic weapons and score, you know, scoring potential. And, uh, and, you know, this is, it's a, it's a, it's a damn tough out. They are the rightful favorites to win the title still. Um, what were your major takeaways from the KD injury and absence uh, noops? And do you think uh, that any of this, um, you know, kind of they're better or they're, you know, that they're playing better because he's gone, you know, is any of this narrative have any merit or fact to it, or is it all totally just overblown nonsense? I think that basketball is a really hard sport for, for most people to watch. They struggle with, um, you know, what's going on in the game. I think you hear that when you have people telling you things like basketball players don't play defense. And, uh, you know, I think when we, we hear a lot of those takes, I think it's that same group of people because when you watch Golden State without Kevin Durant, what you really see is Steph Curry, which is more fun to watch, and Clay Thompson, which is more fun to watch. You see those passes and the ball flying around and just three-pointers coming out of nowhere. You just see somebody standing over Steph Curry and all of a sudden the ball's in the air going in the hoop. It's more fun to watch. You know, when Kevin Durant's on the floor, it slows down a little bit because, honestly, that's the better way to play. I mean, Kevin Durant going one-on-one ISO is one of the most positive EV decisions you can make in the history of basketball. Um, so, you know, I don't think that the Warriors are better without KD. That's a stupid thing to say. Kevin Durant, you know, before he got injured, was probably the best player in the NBA when you think about what he does offensively and defensively. it's You're insane if you think the Warriors are better. Are they maybe a little more fun to watch? Yeah, but they're definitely not better. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, more fun to watch. It kind of, you know, I, you know, th- there's clearly a lot of basketball fans who got into the NBA. And actually, you know what? I'm going to raise my hand. I took a greater interest in the NBA when Steph Curry emerged as an absolute threat and the Warriors emerged as a, a team that was doing it a different way. Uh, and I was tuning in on Saturdays on ABC to watch uh, NBA games because the Warriors were on when, to that point in my life, I really was not interested in regular season NBA at that time. You weren't an NBA. I, I didn't even know that. I'm finding this out. This is... Oh yeah, yeah. I, I, I was bet, I was mostly betting. I was mostly betting. You don't any college fans. Come on now. I don't even I was upset I, too, I've, Andy. Completely, I've completely flipped. I've completely flipped. And because this, like, this is going on like four or five years. So yeah, whenever but, you guys did the pod where you were breaking down your interest in basketball, well, I was shocked to find out you just picked it up like recently. You hadn't been a yeah, basketball oh, yeah, fan yeah. your whole life. That was shocking. Yeah. No, for sure. Like I, I mean, I, I was interested in college basketball uh, going back to like the early 90s uh i remember a ton about you know college basketball march madness year over year i got into the nba playoffs and i don't know like the the pre-lebron era like i I was definitely following along for the first Shaq and kobe uh you know partnership in the lakers in the early two early 2000s and um but but really you know got into betting basketball and you know through becoming a, a kind of a renewed fan watching the emergence of Steph Curry and, you know, their, their, you know, kind of capitalization on, you know, the, the, the added value of shooting the three. It was so fun to watch. It was super fun to cheer for well, them. That, a that's team. a whole, a whole yeah. episode of what you can do on that. I'm just the, the shift in the NBA. You know what? Yeah. I, I feel like I like, I f- I'm asking you guys all these NBA questions because I don't follow it as close as I used to. But now I feel like I'm the I'm well maybe noobs, but I'm like the NBA OG compared to you. I, I'm, well, betting I used to watch I used to watch so many games. Uh, sure. I wasn't betting it. This is way back. Yeah, you no, know what no, got I, me into I'm, the I'm NBA? Kind of mostly I'm mostly and I, I talked yeah, about go yeah. Go ahead. Oh, you're talking betting, yeah. But no, that I talk about you know Garnett and Starberry and all them. But if you I mean, obviously, he's much more famous now, but way back in the 90s, the local play-by-play voice of the Minnesota Timberwolves was Kevin Harlan. Like, he wasn't he wasn't just our guy. And that was – that made – oh, that made Timberwolves game so awesome. That's special. Oh, it was, it was so fun. The big ticket. Oh, it was a lot of fun being a Timberwolves fan in the in the late '90s with Garnett and the, some of the teams he had. But yeah, Kevin Harlan just yelling shit on the local broadcast was uh, that's I remember. That's like my NBA. Uh, what I remember, I don't know if I can remember specific games besides uh, getting shit canned by the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. But I remember a lot of Kevin Harlan calls. Tom sure. Gugliotta. I love the Wood Dogs. <laughs> so but you know back but back to kind of the the nugget there like i do think that the warriors and steph curry especially expanded the fandom uh space of the nba in general um i definitely care 100 oh, percent by a lot steph curry, but by a lot yeah i i i definitely became more interested got and was betting more often because i was watching more often and then got to the point where i was like well shit if i'm going to be betting this i need to really be focusing on this and then i turned it to like okay actually you know what i like this better than me than betting on college basketball because you know there's there's a lot fewer teams a lot fewer moving parts the season's a lot longer and 
you know, there's, there's less, uh, you know, less missed free throws and, and, and holy shit, once you really kind of immerse yourself in the play of the NBA, it's tough to go watch amateur basketball. Like it's just not as good. And so, you know, I, I think there's probably a good amount of people out there who are kind of went on that ride as well. And they probably now sit back and be like, wow, cool. The fun warriors are back. You know, like this is the team that I remember kind of falling in love with when I started really getting into basketball. Like this is so cool. And so, you know, from that standpoint, it's definitely a fascinating storyline. And it's kind of, I've got to imagine it's going to kind of re-ignite uh, the interest in the finals once we get there. If, if we do truly see a, a Warriors team make it with uh, with no KD, it's going to be fascinating. Um, you do see that take all over the place, too. Like, this is, all it's, this is like, it's I remember, that, you know, this, this is like the twenty. 20- you know, the 2016 Warriors. Oh, man. yeah. We're I suckers for nostalgia. Back. We're suckers for nostalgia. We're suckers for... It's funny, kind like of the, four the, years the ago narrative. nostalgia. Oh, no, but that's it. That's just it. Like, people are, are like... They've probably... People probably rightfully feel like they got cheated out of two years of basketball with KG... With a KD joining the super team, right? Like, it was a foregone conclusion for two years running that the Warriors were going to win the title. That completely changed how people enjoyed the sport, watched the sport. And I guarantee you now people feel like they've been, you know, following along, reading this book. They've invested a lot of time and energy in it. And now they get this plot twist in season five that they just are, you know, they're going to be, you know, lining up for, oh, this is what's happening. This is so cool. Like, this is great to see this team kind of recapture their love for the playing game. Cause I, you can, I don't think it's, it's uh, bullshit. I do think you see more joy in the way Steph and and Clay are playing the game. It's wild to see it. Am I totally imagining that, Noops, or do you see something? No, because I got simple basketball stuff. The more you get to shoot, the happier you are. Um, what I did want to say is, though, I love your point about how angry everyone w- was when KD signed with the Warriors. You know, we, I, I forgot it, frankly. Um, People hate him. They really don't like him. Yeah. It's it's that decision. No. I think it's yeah. his demeanor. I think it's the burner Twitter account. Yeah, no, thing. he's a cocksucker. His whole little <laughs> right, right, exactly. Well said. You know, that's, that's how most people feel. It's ridiculous. Yeah. No, I mean, I have, I have a big Dubs future, but I hate him, and I'm glad he's hurt. Oh, wow. Were you the one that was tweeting <laughs> and, at me? And, and I've said it. Oh, KD, KD will be fine. Snake have no legs. That, that was my favorite. That was my favorite. That was my favorite. I should send that to Noob so you can get a kick out of it too. Someone who had someone with a, with a very loose grasp. Someone with a very loose grasp on the English language after I was like, wow, this totally changes. The, they were like, it's okay. KDB fine. Snake have no leg. It was it was I just it was fucking perfect. But it anyway. was like S S N E K. It wasn't even a good spelling. Snack. Snack have snack have no legs. Snack have no legs. Snack. Yeah, right. Snack have no leg. I like yeah, that. So it was pretty great. Anyway, uh he's the Knicks problem now and, and uh I'm sure the KD and uh and Tom I hope Kyrie go, go down and, and oh boy, oh, what, a, what a what a what a what a crew. Uh Kyrie, K D, yeah. James Dolan. Let's James do it, Dolan, baby. Sorry, yeah, New York Knicks. Dolan, New York, yeah. and we get, oh man. Oh, who else could we send up there? Could they maybe sign like um Lance Stevenson? Oh, I would boy. pay. I will I'll pay Lance Stevenson's salary oh, if you Lance, Lance gonna I'm make in. him dance. I'm in. Let's do I mean, it, guys. I feel like you can Starting take over. Oh, this is going to do the, every that other podcast. That was like a podcast. professional segue. That was every, like a professional segue. Oh, that was like a professional was. segue. S- send the whole send the whole misfit toys from the Lakers last year up. You know, they they were all on expiring contracts. Send them all to New York. 
Uh, and and granted, oh, you know, go back Lakers. to our. Go back to our NBA season preview. We got questions from the loyal listeners, and one of them was, and the best question of all came from Noobs, which was like, how much should I put on Lakers do not make the playoffs? And I kind of poo-pooed it. I dismissed it. I made a lot of money kind of fading. Lockie uh, poo-pooed it. A lot, I, yeah, I made a lot of money fading. That was embarrassing. James. You guys ripped me for like five minutes. Oh, well, you no, know, I, and I was, I was guilty of, of, a, of a legit cognitive bias. LeBron James made me a lot of money one year ago in the playoffs as they lined those series completely lopsided that the, the Cavs were terrible and Le- LeBron couldn't get them to the finals. And I single-handed was like, this guy will, you know, will reach down and to his gut and pull out an amazing performance after amazing performance and get them there. I figured he would do the same with the Lakers this year, at least in terms of it getting them to the playoffs. Cause it felt like they needed, you know, some, some energy and something positive with this franchise. that has been just so, you know, off the rails now going on five years uh but uh you know you were right i was wrong lakers did not make the playoffs uh what is your autopsy of the lakers season and what do they do next year so my thought the whole time was there was this narrative and and you talked about a little bit the cognitive bias on lebron and the narrative going into the season was lebron doesn't quit lebron tries his best and and he's going to go out there and he's going to put his head down and and he's going to make the playoffs all on his own and I had a lot of struggles with that because, you know, you got to have one great player to win basketball games, but one player a team does not make. And it's also not true. LeBron James takes games off all the time. He doesn't really play defense anymore during the regular season. I can't remember if it was the championship year or the year after. He took, what, a month off to go on vacation just to, like, get better or whatever. Uh, it was nonsense. So the like whole wine. thing seemed to be built on that. Right. He just there was pictures of him like drinking wine places for a month while his team's playing basketball. Uh, he's getting paychecks. I don't make any sense to me at all. Um, so you start with that, and then you look at the team. What a mess of a team! LeBron James is going to play basketball with Lonzo Ball, who can't shoot, Rajon Rondo, who can't shoot, Lance Stevenson, who can't shoot. Uh, with, it never made any sense yeah. to me, honestly. The whole thing. It was just I kept looking at it going, and they were like, I think when I sent it to you guys. It was like I was looking at maybe plus 250 they don't make the playoffs, and Lockheed looked at it and went, well, that's a bad number. It's actually plus 370 at this other place. I'm like, Jesus Christ, like, what? <laughs> You're going to be kidding me. Yeah, yeah. They're, the, they're, they're going to be one of the eight best teams in the West with LeBron James and not one single shooter and, and, and a coach that, you know, and Luke Walton in his second year on the job. Like, what's he going to do with that mess? It, you know, you got to – coaching is tough. It's, it's hard to find ones that are good, but you at least have to have one that's not bad and – not that Luke Walton's bad, but when you have LeBron James and all those young players that don't know whether or not they're getting traded or they have a job the next day, sure. What a just a, what a mess! What an absolutely poisonous situation to be in. So what do they do? Oh, first of all, who deserves the blame? Magic, Palinka. These guys don't know what they're doing. Like uh, we're now expected to, to believe that they're going to assemble a, a, a reasonable <laughs> roster next year. Like I'm just thinking Magic's about gone. the Magic press conference now. It was wild. He just he just Best quit. Press conference ever. Nobody nobody yeah. quits like magic, man. You <laughs> well, lose five games as a coach, just <laughs> just pack it in. I'm done. That's enough of that. You have one bad show on TV. Yeah, I'm not sure if you pack it in. Great do you guys remember the Magic Johnson show? I, I do remember. Yeah, yeah. it was amazing. Yeah, what a I mess. Do. So so what I mean, I mean so do, you know do these guys have the chops to uh, to put together a competitive NBA team in the West and, or does LeBron literally just write out the last chapter of his career and in, uh, in obscurity? I think the one good thing that happened last year was they signed a lot of one-year contracts. 
Um, they made a couple moves that didn't really make a lot of sense. They gave away, a, I, forget, I think his name's Ante Zizic or whatever big guy they gave away for nothing. And, and they gave away somebody else for some cap room and then used that cap room to sign Rajon Rondo and Michael Beasley. And it was it's like, what? What? Do you, what? You have Brandon Ingram, you have Lonzo Ball, these two young raw players who need some veteran leadership, and you're going to bring in Michael Beasley, Lance Stevenson, and Rajon Rondo. Those are your yeah. veterans that are going to groom yeah. these young guys. Oh, and you have LeBron James who needs shooters, and you're going to surround him with these three clowns. It was, I mean, at the very least, they signed into one-year deals. I mean, you're the Lakers, you have LeBron James. I don't know if the Lakers is still a peak franchise in the, in the minds of a lot of these players. I do know Anthony Davis wants to play there, and um, you know, I, I hope the Sixers certainly don't get involved in an Anthony Davis deal. I have my reservations about him, but he's an incredibly talented player, and he wants to go there. And if you can get LeBron and you can get Anthony Davis, then you start to get some of those veteran guys. I wonder if you know somebody like Al Horford, who's a free agent this year. I, you know, he's. I don't think he's won a championship yet. I wonder Ooh. if we see him go take a cheap deal somewhere. Do you see a guy like J.J. Redick start to start Redick, to go yeah. around and float around and take cheap deals? So yeah, once yep, you get yep. a LeBron and you get an Anthony Davis, it's the rest almost takes care of itself. So you know, as bad as last offseason was, they signed one year deals and they're going to have a lot of cap space this year. And you know, Brandon Ingram, you know, I hope he's okay with that blood cut problem. Um, I know that kind of stuff is really scary. And he might not play in the NBA ever again. I, you know, that's essentially what ended Chris Bosh's career. So I hope he's okay and he's healthy. But if he is, he's a great young player. Um, you know, Lonzo Ball, I have a ton of reservations about him, but he's still Lonzo Ball. You know, I think you can get something for him or, or do something with that. So I think the Lakers have some options. And I'm curious to see what they can do. You know, Magic, I don't know if he helped or hurt things last year. It didn't seem like he was that serious about his job. But, you know, maybe Polinka can pull something together. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, um, is uh, and to, I, yeah, I'm glad ahead. Magic retired or you know resigned because now finally I have a news source on Twitter. I want him back on TV. I, I love him on TV. To, up, I want. I, he's my favorite Twitter guy now. What do you think? How many exclamation like points does he have? What oh, do you think his lot. average exclamation? He's, points he's always are? excited. Ten. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I just feel like he might be in a time. He's in a different time zone that doesn't exist for anyone else. Like somehow he's six hours behind the the entire rest of the world. Like every other time zone, it's it's yeah. baffling. What this guy? I, I love him though. I love him to death. So well, maybe uh, it's just that um, AARP phone he has. The internet's really slow, and it takes six hours for all his tweets to get out. It could be that. <laughs> that could be true. It could be. Um, so speaking of LA. Uh, and a poorly run franchise exists in uh, the Lakers as opposite, you could say, uh, with the Clippers handing the keys over to Jerry West, who has now shown enough times that he is the guy you want making organizational decisions for how you roster a, a team. It looks like they did a magnificent job uh, clearing enough space to sign two max players this summer. Uh, the widely held speculation, and I think it's relatively fair and reasonable, is that Kawhi Leonard goes to the Clippers uh, and that, you know, after this performance that he's put on this uh, postseason, I think there will be a number of other very, very talented top tier free agents who will want to play with him in L.A. Um, are the Clippers a sleeping giant next year? And does Kawhi going back to the West swing the, uh, you know, kind of the balance of power? Uh, to where the Western Conference is again kind of going to be sort of the dominant conference, but the Warriors presumably keeping Steph and Clay and Draymond together, uh, and the um, you know the the Lakers presumably 
getting uh you know an ad uh lebron reunion uh set up here like you know like how are the clippers going to be players in the the west with Kawhi? and you know is this what else what else should they do I think they are. I mean, without Kawhi Leonard, they played the Warriors just about as tough as anybody has played the Kevin Durant Warriors. Uh, those games were incredibly impressive. I know the the one big comeback was a, a lot involving the Warriors kind of taking the foot off the gas too early, but they played them about as tough as they can. And I don't know what Kawhi's going to do. Everyone keeps saying he's going to the Clippers, but he seems like someone whose mind isn't really made until he makes his decision. Um you know, maybe he does want to go play for Doc Rivers in L.A. I think that would be really great. I don't know if that's necessarily enough to put them in the same pantheon as, um, you know, the Rockets or, or and, and the Warriors. You know, the, the Warriors are going to be the best team in the West, even if they don't have Kevin Durant next year. Um, the Rockets should still be pretty competitive, even though Chris Paul is going to be a year older. But I wonder if Kawhi to the Clippers is enough to get them up to that next level or if they need a second piece. And I don't know who that second piece is. You know, in our chat today, somebody posited the idea that uh, that might be Jimmy Butler. Uh, And that's an interesting concept to me. I actually don't know how that works as a fit, but, you know, Doc Rivers and and a team full of athletic guys that, you know, want to put their head down and try really hard. We've seen that, that movie before and it ends really well. Sure. That's true. Um, speaking of Doc Rivers and movie ending really well, uh, what do you think uh, the Celtics ought to do? Blow it up? Start over? How wild is it that you could potentially have gone through this heist of the entire future capital of the Nets that happened in, what, 2013? And think, yep. oh my gosh, this sets this franchise up for, um, you know, for the next decade. Uh, they get another heist, you know, swapping Isaiah Thomas for Kyrie Irving. And then now we look up next year and it may be completely, um, you know, squandered potential. I mean, it's, it's, I know they went to the finals last year. I know uh, the finals two years in the, the um, sorry, not the NBA finals, but the Eastern Conference finals two years in a row and got bounced by LeBron. Yeah, they did not. But like, the finals. They went to the Eastern Conference Finals and didn't really uh, equip themselves particularly well either time. But aside from that, like this is, feels like uh, a lot of opportunity lost here uh, with the uh, you know with the Celtics and this kind of generation of players. Um, you know, and and oh by the way, got to give Spoon credit for this. But how wild will it be if legitimately the Nets are candidates to finish higher in playoff seating in next year's NBA? than the Celtics. And after all of this, that they were able to rebuild faster and, you know, get, uh, get a team, uh, you know, seated higher in, you know, in a matter of six, seven years, it would be absolutely wild. Um, but you know, what, what is reasonable to expect from the Celtics in, in 20, uh, 2019 and beyond. So before I jump into that, I just want to thank you very much for not mentioning the Markel faults heist at any point during that intro. Okay. It was very polite. And I feel like a loved guest. <laughs> And I sure. want to spe- especially thank Andy for either not paying attention or not remembering to mention that. So that's really great. And I just want to thank I'm, you guys. I'm for live that, but... soccer. <laughs> There's soccer on at 930. Who's playing soccer? Chelsea versus New America, England Revolution. Like Mexico. Yeah, you get the well, you got North and South America play at night. But no, yeah, the false thing. So that's God, what I got to fill my nights what, what a poorly run. What a poorly run franchise. Like, I'm well, glad we're talking about. Boston and uh, Boston and Philly at the same time because birds of a feather. And my two cents before Noobs actually says something coherent. If you're the only <laughs> team in the city that doesn't win a championship that year, 
and the other three do, you do have to blow it up. And honestly, they should blow it up. Uh, well, I'm more optimistic about the Celtics than I think a lot of people. Um, it's I think it was on Bill Simmons' podcast. One of his friends mentioned to him that this really simple concept. It really sucks to play basketball with somebody who likes to dribble a lot and has no interest in playing defense. Um, getting Kyrie Irving off this team could be monumental. You know, we saw Jason Tatum take a huge step back this year. We saw Terry Rozier take a huge step back this year. Um, Marcus Smart had some injury issues, but he didn't look really comfortable. You know, Al Horford kind of did his thing, but uh, it's maybe time to let him go. But I'm more optimistic about some of the pieces they have. I like Jalen Brown. I like Jason Tatum. I like Marcus Smart. In a league where it's really hard to find wings, and especially wings that can shoot threes and maybe even defend a little bit, um, those are invaluable pieces. Uh, they've got a bunch of cap space. If Kyrie walks, they, they have a chance to make a move and really get somebody big. Again, they're possibly players in the Anthony Davis sweepstakes, but I think based on the results of the draft lottery, they're, they're probably not as high in those rankings as they might want to be, but they've got Brad Stevens, who's arguably the best coach in the league. They're going to have some really good perimeter players. Um, I think the big decision for them is, you know, whether or not you're going to commit to Terry Rozier, which sounds nuts. Um, He's someone that I struggle with. I don't know if he has the talent to really be a great player. You see it from time to time when he gets starters minutes for a couple weeks, he looks incredible. Um, but then all of a sudden Kyrie's healthy and we're in a serious situation and you tuck him back in the end of the bench and he doesn't seem to be a guy that likes to play 15 or so minutes. But, uh, you know, the Celtics are a testament to how hard it is to win in the NBA. They did everything right for five solid years. They made every trade you'd want to make. Uh, you know, the false trade for them was unbelievable. That Brooklyn trade was unbelievable. The Kyrie Irving trade was mind-boggling at the time. Given the contract yeah. to Al Horford, knowing that that's where the league was going and being able to do that, having this just cavalcade of great wing players over and over and over again, and still not being able to do anything with it. You know, at the end of the day, you, you need a star, and that was supposed to be Kyrie Irving, and that didn't really work out. So yeah, I well think said. that, you know, going forward, Danny Ainge needs to figure out who that next star is. Is that going to be Anthony Davis? Is it going to be somebody else? And, you know, they're still in a great spot. They get a lot of good young players and a lot of flexibility. I don't know how good they'll be next year, but I have confidence that Brad Stevens will find them in the top four or five seeds in the East for sure. Okay, that's fair. Um, five seconds, uh, Rockets window closed? Probably. Yeah, that's a shame. Um, yeah. All right. That's <laughs> and it sucks for us too. Like, yeah. This Rockets well, no, team. I don't, I don't love Harden. This Rockets team. Yeah. I have faith that Maury can maybe they, figure something out, I like, but I don't know what to do like with that Chris chance. Paul contract. I don't either. The last year. Last year was it. <laughs> Albatross. Yeah, last year was the year. Last year um, was it. And the refs screwed them by taking 18 points away from them in game seven. Not all well, of the missed threes. Don't piss the refs off all season if you want the call at the <laughs> yeah, end of the year. Yeah, good point. Yeah, good point. Don't bitch all the season. Um, okay, right. uh, let's wrap this up. Uh, Andy, give me your NBA Finals prediction. What is uh, what, who, who, get, who gets there and, and how? what is the series at? The Warriors. I'm picking. I'm gonna pick the Warriors. The Warriors from Golden State. Okay, and they win in how many? That is my championship prediction. Doesn't matter. Warriors in in four. four. Warriors in four. You know what? We're gonna go Warriors in six. I think. I think. I think Bucks Warriors will actually be pretty good. One of those six game series where you never felt like it was too much in doubt. Maybe it goes Mm. you know straight up home. Well, the the Warriors. There's no chance they can have home home court, is there? No. There's not. Or the Blazers, yeah. for that matter. 
<laughs> I just said the Blazers. <laughs> Good one. Actually, the, uh, give me give me your Eastern Conference final prediction. Eastern Conference Finals, I think the Raptors take care of business in six. I think once the Raptors like get, get to the finals, I like the Warriors in six probably. I'm a big fan of picking them to win on their home. So thank you for reminding me that they won't have home court advantage. Otherwise, I'd have gone Warriors in five or seven. But uh, yeah, Warriors in six over the Raptors in the finals. If it's the Bucks, it's probably still Warriors in six. I don't know. That's whether Durant plays or not. That team is so stinking good. But if it's the Bucks, I will be betting on the Bucks. I don't know what that series price will be, but I'll have some some action on the Bucks. But expecting to lose 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 the underdog. Well, hopefully the Raptors hold the hell on tonight, and you will have a, a nice fat future ticket in your pocket if the Bucks make it, um, because that's the plan. I think I like that plan Absolutely. a lot. Um, yeah. But I do like the Raptors to get this series, and uh, I like the Raptors in six. Uh, I think that's. Hold on. Uh, are you guys watching this, by the way? Can you see Shaquille O'Neal's jacket? I know the people <laughs> no, I uh, may not be watching this tonight. you got to turn this on. This, he's wearing a black suit jacket with big white roses on it. It's <laughs> it's Craig Segerian. I don't, you know, it's worse than anything Seger ever even wore. This is... <laughs> Some people should not wear clothes like that. Yeah, Segerian. I was trying to think of what the word would be. Who, who, who even knew that they made that much fabric for a guy that big? Um <laughs> Okay. Why? <laughs> All right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go. I'm gonna agree with you guys. I think. Uh, no, actually, you know what? I'm gonna go contrarian. I'm gonna I'm gonna say uh, uh, the uh, the Warriors in seven. <laughs> so we'll go totally different predictions. We get it. They get it done <laughs> in seven. <laughs> That's <laughs> contrarian. That's very good. <laughs> oh, All right. Good man. job, guys. That was fun. Fun stuff. Hell of a lot of, uh, love talking NBA. Thank you, noobs. Uh, you got a. Uh, you want to give us a, a, a on the way out the door. Wrapping this up. Uh, who wins yeah. w- w- women's tennis French Open? Where can they find your stuff? Um, you know, follow me on Twitter at underscore noops. I post daily WTA previews on deepdivemedia.co. Um, I will be doing a preview, obviously, for the French Open next week. We've got a couple tournaments next week, and I host, of course, the Networth podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Networth Pod. I think we're on just about every podcast program there is. You know, it's either net worth with a space. Unfortunately, we've got to go back. I think there's a couple that, that don't have the space. But uh, you can find us every week. We break down the tournaments. Um, yeah. And I'll be writing some more stuff for Deep Dive Media. Um, for basketball, I'm working on a, uh, a piece right now, talking a little bit more about the Sixers. And I'll have a finals preview once we figure out those two teams. So um, oh, yeah. look on deepdivemedia.co for all my tennis stuff daily and some NBA stuff coming up. And um, you can follow me on Twitter and reach out to me with any of your DMs. You know, did I say something stupid? Did I say something smart? Let me know. I love the interaction. I like it. Uh, without knowing the draw, who who wins the uh, French Open? Well, the problem is if I pick Kiki Gems. Burton's, then she definitely won't win. And if I pick anybody else, Kiki Burton's will probably win. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, I'm going to go with a long shot. I'm going with Marketa Vondrusova. Mostly Whoa. so I can brag about getting her at 150 to 1, and she's now down to, I think, like 30 to 1. Um, I don't know. It is. It's probably Kiki Burton's or Simona Halep. That's the honest yeah. answer. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Good stuff. Best of luck. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, and, Thanks for having uh, me. Check him out at uh, underscore noops, right? That's your Twitter handle. Correct. At and I think if you search noops. noops, I'm the only noops. Nice. Nice. All right. Take it easy, man. That was a ton of fun. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Peace. Thanks for the time. <laughs>